Today's podcast is brought to you by Elenco Animal Health and Kelly's Finance. Kerry Lonigan here and you're on the grill again with Beef Central for our podcast series featuring industry movers and shakers from all over Australia. Today's guest has an enviable CV right from his days as a student at the famous Gatton College in Queensland. He's currently and has been the manager for the Tipperary Group in the Territory for seven years. David Connolly, welcome. Kerry, thank you very much for having me. I've mentioned the uh, famous Gatton College. Did you learn how to barbecue a steak at Gatton? Yes, we did. Learn how to barbecue um, uh, lamb and uh, veal and learn how to um, um, do pork as well out of the piggery. Um, and as part of the stock and meat inspection class that I was there for three years, uh, butchering and, and butchering for the college was actually part of our curriculum. We had to provide the meat for the, um, for the cookhouse at the college. Wow, so, so medium rare, the, um, the, the steaks? Well, in those days, we took it however we could get it. <laughs> and uh, dare I ask, how did you learn how to party at Gatton, or was that part of the curriculum? Yeah, I, um, I think I learned how to party at Gatton, and anybody um, who went there, I think they failed if they didn't, uh, didn't understand the, the extracurricular activities that went on as, to, make, to make such a wholesome life at, at that <laughs> wonderful college that, that's now called a university. It's, it's certainly got a reputation. Now, did the college reinforce a lot of what you acquired growing up, or did it teach you new things? Uh, it did both, but I think I came out with a whole, a whole lot of new learning. Uh, the, the course that I did, uh, stock and meat inspection, um, qualified you to be a stock inspector or a meat inspector, so there was a lot of learning about um, diseases, exotic diseases, um, poisonous plants, um, things like lymph nodes in cattle and how to palpate all the, all the organs of the animal. So it was, it was actually quite a, very much a scientific course. So it was very practical. And the practical things I had learnt, you know, sheep shearing and horse riding and chasing cows and chasing pigs and, and drafting and all those sorts of things I'd learnt already as a farm boy, but um, Gatton put a lot of science um, to those practical aspects. Now, um your first gig out of uh, into the real world was a uh, as a stocking station agent at Gundawindi. Yeah, well, my first first gig I went off working for the renowned vet Bill Barker out of Charleville, uh-huh. and I went onto a um, BTEC uh, brucellosis and uh, tuberculosis team with with the, the flying vet Bill Barker, and then after that, I full time role after that contract work, I was approached by. Um, the boss of Grascos, who worked for Dalgetty's, or Dalgetty's had taken over at that time, and um, he saw me auctioneering at a party and asked me if I wanted to be a, an auctioneer, and I had never thought about it, and um, he talked me into it, and I and I joined Dalgetty in... Um, in, in 19, um, oh gee, where's 1987 or 88 or something like that. So you were an auctioneer at first? Yes, I, I went off to, uh, my first branch was under the legendary Paul McCormack, working for Dalgetty at Gundawindi, and um, I did a trainee, a very short, sharp, um, uh, whole of life learning under Paul McCormack at Gundawindi, and then I went off to Gympie for 12 months and worked for um, Jim Connolly and Billy Bishop, um, who whose private agency business Dalgetty had acquired, and then um, I worked for them, and we sold um, six days a week and every fortnight seven days a week. So um, I got plenty of auctioneering. Now, there's some changes in ownership, and you ended up being drafted into the mighty AA Co. 
Yes, I was approached by um, Don McKay when he was the managing director of um, AACO uh, and Jeff Wagstaff uh, to join um, AACO as their as their livestock marketing manager, and that's I was in charge of the um, the buying of the livestock for AACO and the selling of livestock for AACO in that in that in that first short period. And you became chief operating officer after a few years. Yes, I worked my way up and. Um, uh, studied diligently under some pretty smart managers in the business, very smart practical managers of the land and the cattle, and I ended up being promoted to Chief Operating Officer. Uh, I think I might have been the first Chief Operating Officer of AA Company under the public structure. Fair to say that you were part of a procession of what might be called very good people to go in and out of AAK. Can you offer any perspective on why that happens so often? Uh, I don't know why it is. AAK. Um, if I was being, if I was being a little bit, um, you know, maybe maybe pessimistic, I'm not sure that AA Company valued the um, the high quality of staff that it's had come through its corridors. I think um, agriculture sometimes need to change, and as those managers led change, there's also things that agriculture doesn't need to change when management's doing it well and um, I just think I think people fall by the wayside and sometimes uh, in a big company uh, high management structure that AACO is I think sometimes they lose sight of the fact that they have some very good people through their corridors and of course it's easy to pay lip service to saying you know our people are our greatest asset but but it's a lot harder to actually recognize that and and bring those people on and keep them in the business. They've just lost uh, yet another CEO for uh, various reasons. But so the gig's available. Would you put your hand up if you were offered, or would it come back? <laughs> no, no. I've done my time at AA Company. Um, I don't think. I personally don't think the public structure um, suits AA Company. I think it'll be a much better uh, company run privately. But that's that's my personal thoughts. Um, there's a lot of expense that goes with being a public company uh, in that agriculture scene, and I think AA Company would would benefit from. Um, from private management. So AACO is in your rear vision mirror. You have a couple of interesting gigs and then you end up with the famous Tipperary station in the Northern Territory. Yes, I went to Tipperary in uh, the month of February in 2015 and I was asked by uh, the owner, uh, Mr Alan Myers QC, to go to um, Tipperary after AA Company were... Um, that we're, we're moving away from leasing or adjusting the property in early 2015 and I went there and uh, took the property back. It was quite interesting. Uh, the property was um, empty or, or, or clear of uh, people, plant, machinery and livestock so it was bare. I think AAK was a bit involved in that as well, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. that's right. AAK were leasing the property for some years prior to that and then my job was to bring the property back in line to the, to the owners. So Tipperary is a Tipperary is a legendary property with an intriguing history. Can you give us um, a word picture of what Tipperary looks like now? Uh, Tipperary is a, a, a very well organised property with fantastic land and uh, environmental assets. It's got running water. Uh, beautiful water that just comes up out of the ground in springs, a lot of springs, um, beautiful bush areas from, from uh, semi-forested uh, grasslands through to um, subtropical uh, rainforest areas and um, grasslands and Litchfield stations part of the Tipperary group and has wonderful floodplains for fattening livestock on, on floodplains. Uh, it's, it's, a, 
a fantastic property. It's a it's uh, well run and well managed and well looked after. It, it's a very good cattle station, um, but it has diverse assets. Yes, there uh, was a property owned by the famous Warren Anderson, and he did a lot of odd development, I call it odd, including, of all things, a zoo with up to 2,200 animals, uh, a, a pygmy hippopotamus, a rhinoceros, and a lot, a lot of other uh, of animals, plus an equestrian centre. And he also had a lot of bitumen roads there, and he's got an airport that you could land a jumbo on. It's extraordinary. Any evidence of that, Salim? Yeah, it's all still complete. It's been uh, part of my part of my role to, to look after all those assets. The airstrips are 2100 metres long by uh, 40 metres wide, fully sealed. We, this, this year, as in previous years, we've had RAAF exercises on the airstrip where they're landing C-130s and uh, massive Starlifter fighters and big US jets and helicopters uh, as part of that. We use it as an agricultural strip. Um, and land our ag planes on it. So, and, and all the assets of Tipperary, including the massive equestrian centre, um, all the accommodation, um, it, it's all used. As a matter of fact, over the last couple of years, I would say that Tipperary has grown into those assets, those, those wonderful assets that um, people would think that have totally overcapitalised the property, and that might be right. But over the last couple of years, as the business has really grown, now we've been able to, um, we're really totally utilising all those wonderful assets. Yes, uh, Warren Anderson went broke, of course, and it was eventually bought by Alan Myers QC from the famous QC from Melbourne. That was a, an odd sort of new buyer, wasn't it? There wasn't the traditional type station owner around the territory who stepped in. It was a QC, a lawyer from Melbourne. Did, was, that must have been a really strange thing to happen. Well, it was well before before I went there. It was in 2003. But I think what people don't know or tend to forget is that Alan's of the land. I mean, his, his father was a uh, a butcher and his grandfather a blacksmith. Uh, Alan's of the land and his country in Western Victoria has got some magnificent country there with, with fantastic sheep and fantastic uh, Angus cattle. So Alan's of the land and I can tell you that Alan Myers truly loves Tipperary. It's a place that's very dear to his heart. Um, he's he's uh, very, very supportive of, of, of the diverse range of activities that we do on the station. So to me, uh, not knowing Alan back in 2003 when he bought it, but I can see today just how much love he has for the property and for the land. Land is land assets and um, grazing animals and, and being being a pastoralist is very dear to Alan's heart. So you bought, you bought it empty, I understand. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure about that. There was a lot of land bought then at that stage, though. There was more than just Tipperary. There was assets of Elizabeth Downs and Litchfield and, and Tipperary and Fish River and, um, you know, Buchanan and Murrinjai and Kalala stations as well, further south south of Catherine. So um, it was a lot of land assets and um, the capacity to run a lot of cattle in those days. So what are you running now? How many? Oh, now we've got the capacity to run 55,000 head of cattle and uh, the property's been reduced to, uh, Douglas West and um, Litchfield Station and Tipperary Station all conjoining boundaries and all all bordered on the southern side by either the Douglas or the Daly River. What, what do you concentrate on, live exports? Yes, we, until this very large cattle market turned up over the last 18 months or two years, uh, we've been solely live export. Uh, freight, 
freight dictates that say we're only 200 kilometres south of Darwin so to, to bring cattle south into a um, into a processing factories in, in Queensland or elsewhere in, in the South Australia the freight just kills us so really we're we're long on live export and uh, we're very much reliant um, on, on that live export market. Time for a break from our podcast today. We're talking with David Connolly. He's the boss of Tipperary Station and president of the Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association. This podcast is brought to you by CompuDose, a proven way to maximise growth rates in grass-fed cattle. CompuDose allows you to target and achieve specifications for most major markets, including MSA grading and feedlots. Contact Alanco and find out how CompuDose can grow your beef operation. Results may vary depending on nutrition. Always read and follow label directions. Established since 1988, Kelly's Finance Group have the finance solutions when it comes to agribusiness lending, from property loans and livestock funding to machinery and vehicle finance. They are the experts in arranging finance on behalf of their clients that not only ensures market-leading interest rates, but more importantly, financing that is suited to your agricultural operations, not your lender's bottom line or their preferred security position. With access to an array of specialist and traditional finance providers, there's no job too big or too small for the Kelly's Finance Group team. Contact Kelly's Finance Group today for an independent and confidential discussion and how we can add value to your business moving forward. Welcome back. As you might have guessed from the noise, we're at the Brisbane Exhibition and our guest today, David Connolly, President of the Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association. So, David, a, a seminal change. You uh, get into cotton, even though it's had a very uh, chequered history in the Northern Territory, you've gone for it full bore. Yeah, cotton was grown in the Northern Territory before we got there, before I got there, but uh, only as a, only as research farm crops. Uh, and we're the first business to grow cotton in a commercial quantity. And now we've got other, there's other growers in the Northern Territory that have formed a Northern, Terri- Northern um, Cotton Growers Association and there's other customers there as well that are doing, um, that, are, that are growing cotton. Um, ours was a, a bit of a funny story how we got into it. I wanted to um, have whole cotton seed um, to feed cattle because I think it can be a game changer for the north, feeding whole cotton seed. And um, I'd, I'd brought my brother up in 2016, uh, Bruce, to uh, run the farming enterprise as we diversified more into cropping on t- Tipperary. And Bruce has 20 years experience of growing cotton as a contractor on Cubby Station so he was long on cotton in the south with knowledge so I asked Bruce why we couldn't grow cotton on Tipperary and he said because you haven't given me a paddock so we, we started off growing cotton under under our existing pivots as an irrigated crop where we transferred from from irrigating hay to irrigating cotton under our existing licenses but we have found that um, we're not very good at growing it uh, under the pivots as an irrigated crop we, we've transitioned to growing it as a dry land crop where we rely on the high rainfall 
uh, of Tipperary and plant it in December and um, and then harvest it in June. Uh, it's been fantastic. We're up to 3,000 hectares now of cotton. Uh, it's a major, major enterprise and a major part of our business. The only problem is we have to transport it at high cost and increasingly high cost down to the south to process at the cotton ginning facilities. We have been processing this year at Dolby at the Louis Dreyfus facility. That is a big taxi fare, isn't it? And I noticed uh, you dragging uh, a road train taking some cotton away. Uh, 39 bales? That's a lot of cotton. Yeah, 39 modules per truck. Um, it's a big load. Um, it's, it's what we can fit on legally to bring south. So, um, yeah, a big taxi fare co costs a lot of money and it drains, a, drains a, the bulk of the profitability out of the, out of the crop. But there's, uh, there's some sunshine ahead. Um, your owner is putting his own money in to build a gin at uh, not far from where you are now. Catherine? Yep, Tipperary Group. Uh, we've commissioned a cotton gin and about 35 kilometres north of Catherine, uh, we're building a gin on some freehold country there uh, that should be open, ready for commercial ginning uh, for growers across the Northern Territory and uh, Western Australia um, come July next year. Could um, cotton be the next big thing across northern Australia? And could it be a bit of a lifesaver in light of what's happening to live exports at present? Well, certainly if you've got the soil and the rainfall, I, I think it is absolutely the silver bullet is what we've called it up there. We've been, a lot of growers, a lot of cattlemen, uh, a lot of mixed farming enterprises have been looking for the silver bullet to grow in the Northern Territory. And um, I certainly think cotton is the silver bullet and the dry land uh, for mine, the dry land uh, form of growing it has been, um, has been a winner for us. David, uh, let's uh, change horses for a moment. You are president of the Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association. How well is the industry, or how well was the industry, prepared for the latest biosecurity issues? Firstly, FMD, and then, uh, and of course, LSD. Look, I think the... Um, I'm, I'm not sure the industry being the cattlemen, I'm not sure the cattlemen were uh, prepared for how close suddenly foot and mouth and lumpy skin disease appeared on, um, you know, on our borders really. I'm not sure that the industry as such were prepared for how close it was and what a risk it, it became but I sincerely believe that the Australian government were, um, were prepared because the Australian government have been, um, been pulling up foot and mouth disease for years and years and years. Our biosecurity systems, our quarantine systems have been detecting foot and mouth disease and foot and mouth particles in, in, in forbidden uh, foods that have been coming into Australia for many years. It's not advertised but you know I know that to be a fact. Um, so I actually think our quarantine systems and our biosecurity systems are very good, they're very strong, they've kept it out of Australia for all these years, we have visitors and, and uh, things going on with, with all countries all over the world and there's foot and mouth in several of those countries. So the answer is I think industry got a bit of a shock but I think, um, I think government and our biosecurity systems were already in place but just needed to be bolstered. Now, your recent address to the, N the AGM of the NTCA covered a lot of issues, and again, I just recommend it to uh, listeners of our podcast. The big issue you mentioned is protection of your industry against energy needs, that is exploration and extraction of uh, gas. What's, what's the issue here? What do, you, what, do, what do you want assurances about? Well, the issue is that um, there's competing interests on the land. So the bulk of the land in the Northern Territory is pastoral, perpetual pastoral lease. 
Now, because it's a lease in perpetuity, well, it's as good as freehold. That's how that's how landowners see that land. But what happens is, uh, landowners pay a rent, they pay a lease fee on that land, and then the government double dips by then allowing energy companies to come on that land, regardless of what the landowner feels about that entry onto the land. Now, some landowners are happy to have that entry onto the land, and they work out an agreement. And some landowners aren't, and both are right because it's their land and it's their right. So, but but the government allows the way the laws are written those exploration companies to come onto the land and then that exploration company has to also pay a lease on that on that mining lease or that exploration lease so the government's double dipping now when it's double dipping and it's getting a benefit out of the landowner and it's getting a benefit out of the mine who's the government going to protect you know which which one is which which right is it going to protect so look the vast the vast majority of landowners landowners in the northern territory agree with mining and they agree with exploration and they agree with energy but uh, some don't and those and those people have to have a pathway to have their land holding and their way of life looked after uh, well, the way our energy needs are going, it would seem that there'll be more and more exploration in places like uh, Western Queensland and the Territory. But uh, that, So you're not against mining, just with certain caveats? Well, our, our organisation took a vote and the, and the, the vote was 50-50. So that was clear. Our members, there was 50% of our members said they don't like mining and 50% said they don't, mi- they don't mind it. What we want to see happen is uh, caveats that have been put in place by um, certain uh, officials that the government employed in the Northern Territory to um, to instigate a thing called the Pepper Inquiry um, where recommendations were laid down. We want to see those recommendations when the government said they were going to implement those recommendations in full. We were still waiting for that to happen. Um, it's, it hasn't been done in its entirety. And then we want those, rec- that was for the energy business, for gas and so forth. Well, we want those recommendations to be taken up for mineral exploration because why wouldn't they be? It's still the same entry onto the land. Yeah, and you're going to be there forever though. The miners are just going to come and go, aren't they? That's right. Our, our big deal is that uh, pastoralists are part of the land we're of the land and we're there for a long time the miners and the energy companies their visit to the land is fleeting yet yet the legislation is set up to protect the miner more than the, the fellow who lives on the land in generations families and, and generations of families on that land now, given what's been happening in the live export business over the last little while, especially with the uh, the shadow of FND and LSD, what's your view of the future of the live industry, live export industry across the north? Say, uh, where do you see it in ten years' time? Uh, in ten years' time. Uh, I, I'm positive about it. I think the industry will be back up on its feet in 10 years' time. I think there's some very good things being done by some very good people in in, in Indonesia from Australia, helping them uh, combat this problem of the disease that's come in. Um, there has to be some real discipline from the Indonesians shown to uh, combat the disease, and I think once they get control of it, and I'm positive that they will get control of it, as many other countries have, and with Australia's help, and Australia's willing help, mind you, when they get control of this disease, I think things will um, will return um, to whatever the new normal is. Yeah, but that'll be interesting to see what the new normal is. Well, it certainly hasn't been normal where we've recorded this interview with uh, with David, and we've been at the Brisbane Echo, of course, and there's been a lot of echo noises in the background, and that explains some of the odd uh, noises you did here during that interview. David Connolly, President of the Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association and the boss of Tipperary Station in the Territory, thank you for your time on the grill. Thanks very much, Gary. It's been a pleasure to talk to you again. 
And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan, and this is the Weekly Grill brought to you by Alenco Animal Health and the Kelly's Finance Group.